I know you're out there. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. the dots of the Constitution for you like no one else can. The Chris Ann Hall Show. She's an attorney, a disabled U.S. Army veteran, an author, public speaker, mother, pastor's wife, and a patriot. She's Chris Ann Hall. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here. You can find me at K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. Liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. You can also find our constitutional training at Liberty First University, LibertyFirstUniversity.com. And yes, I am Chris Ann Hall. And I'm usually here with my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall. But you'll see we have an empty chair today. J.C. is a little bit under the weather. So if you are a praying person, please pray for J.C.'s quick recovery. I know that you will miss him. Now, I mentioned yesterday that we were going to do a unique show today. A, a sort of Liberty First University show, kind of a discussion and study in Thomas Jefferson's first annual message to Congress, because I was reading that again the other day, and it came to me that this is such a stellar example of how the executive branch is supposed to work. Now, you'll remember that under Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution, one of the duties of the president is to, from time to time, give Congress information on the State of the Union and to make recommendations to Congress. And that's, that's what this message is doing. This message is uh, from Thomas Jefferson in 1801. He's just been elected president, and he is under Article 2, Section 3, informing Congress about the activities of the executive and the matters under which he has vision and authority. And remember, the executive has very limited authority, so Jefferson's comments are very well kept to things describing uh, foreign affairs and foreign com uh, commerce and their effects on society, then giving recommendations to Congress on how to handle the other duties of congressional nature in light of how things are happening in the executive realm. And like I said, it's just simply a, a great example of what our presidents are supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be behaving, and the sort of self-limitation of the exercise of power uh, that is required of a 
of an executive that is morally rooted and morally grounded, not taking advantage of every opportunity that comes forward, but literally keeping my, you know, I'm president. I'm going to keep myself within these boundaries. I'm going to keep myself within this this limited framework that I have to operate in. And, and what's interesting is that Jefferson actually looks at Congress in the middle of this, uh, this uh, address, this message, and says, don't forget, you've got to keep yourselves limited to the Constitution and its delegation of authority as well. Jefferson, in this particular address, his very first business as president, one of his very first businesses as president, uh, under this Article 2, Section 3 duty. Like I said, it, it's just a really, really great example. So those of you who have your copies with you, because we mentioned yesterday that we were going to go over this, so I imagine, and I heard from you, <laughs> I heard from you on on uh, Facebook that uh, some of you had all of your stuff together, all your gear together, and you were going to be... Um, uh, studying along with us. And so I'm, I was just, <laughs> the teacher in me was really sort of excited to, to know that, that so many of you appreciate these moments where we slow down, step back from the drama of the news and do some instructional training so that guess what? We can be the self-governing citizen government that we are supposed to be. And so beginning with Jefferson's uh, first annual message to, let's say this, message to Congress, right? So Jefferson is speaking to Congress. He is not speaking to the people of the United States. He is speaking to Congress. This is not a state of the union to the people. This is not a message to the people. It is a message to Congress. Why? Because the president does not represent the people. The president does not represent the people. The office of the president was designed so that the president would be a representative of the states in foreign affairs. War, peace, negotiations, commerce, foreign affairs. And we have, I, I, I wonder if the old fireside chats is, uh, was instrumental in changing the way Americans think about the duty of their president. Many people believe that they represent, that the president is the leader of America, that the president's duty is to represent the people. That's the whole premise behind this national popular vote movement, that the president is a representative of the people. He is not a representative of the people. The president is a representative of the states in war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce in many, many, and most, well, let me say many, in most of everything that the president has a duty and authority to function within, he must do that with the consent and advice of the Senate, which, by the way, are the direct representatives of the, of the states. 
not the people. The House of Representatives is the representatives of the people. And that's how that works. Why have a bicameral house? Because we need to represent the people. We need to represent the states. They come together. The president represents the states because the states are the, 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 in those who engage in foreign affairs. They need representation in treaties. They need representation in war. And the people control the law as a whole because the House of Representatives holds more constitutional authority than the Senate. So uh, that's a whole nother class. LibertyFirstUniversity.com is where you can see how that's supposed to work, that uh, balance of power in the Congress based on the fact that the House has the most power in Congress, the Senate being lesser of power than the, than the House. And if that sounds strange to you, if that sounds like maybe I've got it all wrong, maybe you should check out Liberty First University and see our class on the budget. We also have a, an article at chrisannhall.com ending the budget blame game that will give you a little preview of that class, but an in-depth study is always the best. So Jefferson starts off, and he starts off talking about how, again, foreign affairs, how the foreign world has been in a lot of wars, a lot of turmoil, and they're seeing a conclusion uh, to the great wars that are being fought as he, he uh, describes them as our friends and neighbors. And because of these wars that are ending, Jefferson's going to get into the uh, increased opportunity for uh, commerce with these countries. Obviously, if they're distracted by war and they're spending all their money on defense, then they're not going to be spending their money on trade. So, hey, this is a great deal for us. The wars over there are coming to an end, and we are now going to have new avenues opened up for commerce, for treaties, for negotiations. And he also talks about how Congress may want to consider the enemies of our friends in making deals with foreign countries. He goes into in the second, I get in uh, online, it's, it's broken down into paragraphs. So uh, as this was delivered, uh, it goes into a discussion of our Indian neighbors. And in that discussion of our Indian neighbors, Jefferson is talking about the Native Americans here. Now, remember, the Native Americans have made treaties that they are not a part of the United States. That's why he calls them our Indian neighbors. They are not citizens of the United States. They are neighbors to our, our state countries. And so uh, he's talking about how our interaction with them has had a, a benefit to their society, to their health. And I just want to read to you uh, just a little bit. To, to give you an idea of Jefferson's heart in this matter. And remember, this is a matter of the president because Indian governments are foreign governments. They are not citizens. They are not states of the United States. And he says, among our Indian neighbors, also a spirit of peace and friendship generally prevailing. And I'm happy to inform you that the continued effort to introduce among them the implements and the practice of husbandry and the household arts have not been without success. 
that they are becoming more and more sensible of the superiority of the dependence on clothing, the substance over the precarious resource of hunting and fishing, and we are all... Uh, and already we are able to announce that instead of that constant diminution in their numbers produced by their wars and their wants, some of them begin to experience an increase in population. So he's saying, look, we have had not just simply a happy effect on the people of the United States, but the organization, the progress of the people, the peace and felicity of the citizens of the United States have rubbed off on the Indian nations, and they're learning from us. And they're not dying from disease. They're not dying from the cold. They're not dying from, from starvation and lack of want. We're training them. We're helping them to understand. And I think Jefferson would say, that's how neighbors are supposed to act with each other. And it's interesting because Jefferson starts off with a happy story and then he immediately gets into the trouble that they've been having with foreign commerce because of the Barbary states. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. And I want to remind you as gift-giving season is approaching that you should go to uh, bit.ly forward slash Liberty First Gear. For those of you who are watching me on YouTube, you can uh, see the ticker right there at the bottom and you can copy it in there. But when you're going to bit.ly forward slash Liberty First Gear, make sure the L is capital, the F is capital, and the G is capital because it's case sensitive. So Liberty First Gear, the first letter of each word capitalized but smooshed, smooshed into one word. And we have great ways for you to engage not only in it in gift giving but in education and in my humble opinion, this is a way that we love our neighbor. <laughs> we educate them on the principles of liberty. We break the ice. I mean, Crispus Addicts, Wentworth Cheswell, Mercy Otis Warren, Penelope Barker, uh, Thomas Jefferson. We've got a great Thomas Jefferson t-shirt, phone cover, uh, coffee mug, uh, sweatshirt. JC is is. Uh, in great anticipation of receiving his Thomas Jefferson fake news t-shirt or sweatshirt rather. And we're uh, so uh, make sure you do that so you can get those in by the uh, right appropriate day. Uh, everybody does things differently. So I just want to make sure that uh, you know about this and you go there. So many things. Hey, ladies, there's Liberty First Lady Leggings. Liberty First Lady Leggings. How awesome is that? I just think that's really cool. I have to get, I haven't, I've bought a lot of the stuff myself. I haven't got any leggings yet. I'm going to have to go ahead and do that just because they excite me. <laughs> I think they're so cool. But anyway, uh, we're into this understanding. Uh, we're getting into Jefferson's address and there's some very important issues that we need to cover. But 
Jefferson starts off now uh, after talking about the affairs with our neighbors, the foreign affairs with the Indian nations, talks about the trouble that we've have been having with foreign commerce in the Barbary states. And what happens is these Barbary states uh, and Tripoli to be in particular are demanding. And, and th just to give you a little backdrop, before Jefferson was president, from the formation of our United States, the Barbary pirates were demanding tribute for protection, sort of like this, this Marine, uh, not Marine Corps, but Marine meaning um, ocean, oceanic, oceanic uh, mafioso, right? So we'll use that word, oceanic mafioso, right? So they, they go around on their ships, and if you pay them off, they won't steal your stuff. They won't kidnap your people. They won't murder your people. So you're paying them for protection, sort of like the, <laughs> I got a guy, right? I got a guy. I got a guy. I got to pay, and that's it. But Jefferson's like, heck no. Are you serious? I'm not paying these people squat. We're not imprisoning ourselves to a bunch of savage pirates. And I want to read to you what Jefferson says in his address. He says, the state of general peace with which we have been blessed, only one exception exists, Tripoli. The least considerable of the Barbary states had come forward with demands unfounded either in right or in compact and it permitted itself to denounce war on our failure to comply before a given day. So Tripoli says the demands, we didn't make a treaty with them to pay them. They have no right to make us pay them. They're, uh, they don't own the sea. They don't own this passage. They don't own any lands that we're trying to have access to. So they have no right to this. And because we, Jefferson, refused to pay, they said, all right, we're at war. And Jefferson says the style of the demand admitted but one answer. And it wasn't to pay off the thugs. His answer was, and here's what he says, I sent a small squadron of frigates into the Mediterranean with assurances to that power of our sincere desire to remain in peace, but with orders to protect our commerce against the threatened attack. Now, this is not Jefferson sending troops into war. He is not sending them into a war. He is not becoming part of a war. He is not starting a war. This is Jefferson engaging in the uh, duty of common defense. All he did was send a frig uh, to send a, uh, a frigate to protect our commerce. There again, men tear up our constitution And from every direction We cry revolution Standing together and without permission Soldiers for truth in the war of attrition The love of our country As our The Chris Ann Hall Show. She's Liberty's lobbyist.
Thank you to our dear friend Jordan Page for that beautiful song, uh, Liberty, that he has allowed us to use in uh, Bumper for our show. We're going to have Jordan on the show here uh, very soon to talk about the new song um, that he made. We, we debuted last week, and uh, he has some also some very important endeavors that we want to help him uh, get out and talk about. Now, uh, we're talking about Jefferson's response to the thugs in the Barbary uh, Coast, the Barbary States, and they're demanding payment for uh, not attacking and not raping, pillaging, and plundering. And Jefferson says, no, we're not going to pay you, but I'm, I'm going to send a squadron of frigates into the Mediterranean to be an escort for our commerce so that you're aware that, hey, we're not going to do this. And he goes on to talk about how one of the um, uh, Tripolit- Tripolitan cruisers, I wouldn't even know how to say that anyway, uh, have fall, uh, tried to attack one of our small schooners named Enterprise and how Enterprise responded in defense and was victorious. And then once the uh, Tripolitan cruiser was disabled of its ability to harm us, we let the crew and the people go. And uh, so I, I want to talk about this, and then I need, we need to get on to the other things that are going on. And at this point, Jefferson again engages in the duty of Article 2, Section 3, giving advice to Congress on how they need to deal with these issues. And I want to read to you what he says. He says, um, uh, Unauthorized by the Constitution without the sanction of Congress to go out beyond defense, the vessel being disabled from committing further hostilities was liberated with its crew. The legislature will doubtless consider whether by authorizing measures of offense also they will place our force on equal footing with that of its adversaries. I communicated all material information on this subject, and he's talking about that. And he... He says that he he wishes that the situation with the Barbary states was satisfactory, but uh, not everything is on the up and up. And something I wanted to tell uh, I wanted to get into here because remember the president is the negotiator of the treaties, the Senate is the approver of those treaties. And Jefferson says here in this this next part of his address. Hey, look, Congress, I noticed that we made a treaty and we're not holding up our end of the bargain. So let me put you on notice. I went ahead and held up our end of the bargain, but you need to look into this. He says, discovering that some delays had taken place in the performance of certain articles stipulated by us, I thought it my duty by immediate measures for fulfilling them, to vindicate ourselves the right of considering the effect of departure from stipulation on the other side. And he's like, look, before they get into some kind of default of our treaty, I fixed this. But look, you, Congress, in my advice to you under Article 2, Section 3, my advice to you is you need to go back, you need to look at these treaties, you got to make sure that we are in agreement. Now, this is a, a very precarious moment for uh, our country because we were having serious trouble under the Articles of Confederation with keeping our deals. And so starting off with this new constitution, with this new kind of uh, uh, assertion of we're going to keep our deals this time, Jefferson is saying, hey, 
we got to make sure we live up to our promises in Congress. Uh, I can negotiate these treaties, but you are the ones that that actually agreed to them, and you're the ones that have to take the measures to fulfill them. I covered your backside in the manner that I could within the limitation of my powers, but now it's time for you to get on board and get doing your job. What's interesting here is that now Jefferson is going to talk about the population. And I know this is going to be really interesting to many Americans today because Jefferson's going to speak on the principles and the laws of naturalization. And what has happened is in 1800, there was a census. So in this address to Congress, Jefferson is actually kind of revealing the census. So the executive branch has undergone its authority, undergone its authority to, uh, to facilitate the census. Jefferson says, hey, I have the results to the census and it's good news. And here's what's amazing. Jefferson first gets into it and says, look, our population has so increased that guess what, Congress? We, I am recommending that we reduce our rates of apportionment accordingly. You see, tax, the federal budget is supposed to be paid by apportionment of the states when impost does not cover the needs of the country. And so Jefferson said in the beginning, look, our trade is going to be increased. We're going to have better opportunity with this peace across the world. And we have more people. So when we reapportion the representatives, we need to reapportion the debt to the states, which because of the population growth is going to reduce the portion that the states have to pay because we have uh, more people and more places that are contributing. And he says that uh, we are going to double our population again in, in, more, in a little more than 22 years. And uh, he thinks that this is a really, really good thing. Now, I want to read to you what he says, because now he's going to get into the principles of naturalization. He says, we contemplate this rapid growth and the prospect it, up, it holds up to us, not with a view to injuries it may enable us to do to others in some future day, not because we're big and we can conquer, but to the settlement of the extensive country that remaining vacant uh, within our limits, to the multiplication of men susceptible to happiness, educated in the love of order, and habituated to self-government and value its blessings above all price. So we're not going to go out and conquer uh, to increase our population because we have all of this place coming in. Uh, all of, we have all of access to all of this land, rather. And with this access, with all of this land, we're going to see more and more people coming into America. And the point that I wanted to make, to begin making with this naturalization thing, is what Jefferson classifies as the qualities of an American citizen. And I'm going to repeat them for you. There are three. Three overriding qualities of an American citizen. Number one, susceptible to happiness. They're seeking happiness. They're not seeking conquering. They're not seeking distress. They're not seeking uh, dis uh, div division and confusion. They're seeking happiness. Number two, uh, 
They are educated in love and order. They are not disposed to disorder. They are not disposed to unlawfulness. They are not disposed to creation or participation in chaos. And number three, they are, I guess there's actually four, but number three, habituated to self-governance. Let me repeat that. Habituated to self-governance. They are coming here because this is a land of opportunity where they have the opportunity to govern themselves. They are not coming here seeking handouts. They are not coming here seeking government programs. They are not coming here seeking uh, health, wealth, uh, healthcare, welfare, or anything else from the government. They are coming here because they are seeking the opportunity. They are habituated, okay? Just not inclined, but habituated to self-government, meaning that's their habit. Their natural tendency is self-governance, not seeking government aid. And, and, a, and habituated as well to the value the blessings provide above all else. And this is where Jefferson goes into this discussion about um, uh, naturalization. He, uh, he spends sort of, again, a little bit time talking about taxation. What's interesting, he says, we're going to reduce our taxes. He says, I'm reducing the number of people that are going to be working for me in the executive branch. I'm eliminating certain offices. And because of that reduction in spending, guess what? Your taxes are going to go down. Before we, I, I kind of got ahead of myself before we end up with naturalization, because we will get into this. This is very important. He says, um, other circumstances combined with the increase of numbers have produced an augmentation of revenue arising from consumption in a ratio far beyond that of population alone. And though the changes in foreign relations now taking place so desirably for the world may for a season affect this branch of revenue, yet weighing all probability of expenses as well as of income, there is reasonable ground and confidence that we may now safely dispense with all internal taxes, including excises, stamps, auctions, licenses, carriages, and refined sugars to which the postage on newspapers may be added, um, and that those remaining sources of revenue will be sufficient to provide for the source for the support of the government to pay the interest on the public debts and to discharge the principles in shorter periods than we had originally imagined. So uh, one thing I wanted to sort of point out here, look, Jefferson recognizes that licensing is a tax. I think many people think that licensing is how we keep people safe. No, licensing is a tax. And Jefferson says, because we are engaging in prosperity, the self-governance that, uh, that creates prosperity, the consumption area of what we're doing is going to meet all our needs. And he says, we're going to be able to eliminate this. And most of our income by design, he says, will now come from taxation on imported goods. And he says, I'm reducing who we are. Now, Jefferson engaged in an activity called impoundment. And that's where the president said, okay, Congress is giving me this money, but guess what? I don't need all that money, so I'm not going to spend it. That's the only real control the president is to have over spending. A refusal to say, we don't need it. I'm not going to spend it. I'm going to give it back to you. Do you know what's interesting? 
1974, Congress passed an act that was actually uh, enforced in a greater extent by the Supreme Court in a case called Train v. City of New York, where Congress made it unlawful for the President of the United States to refuse to spend money. Did you catch that? Congress said, if we send you money, you have to spend it. How is that not a completely broken system? Chris Ann Hall Show. She's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K R I S A N N E H A L L dot com. And we're going to skip forward to the end now where Jefferson talks about naturalization because I think this is a very important issue today and there's a lot of confusion going around on where our framers stood on uh, citizenship and naturalization. And uh, I think there's even some people that are going around and talking about uh, Jefferson just having this sort of let anybody in, let anybody do whatever they want kind of mentality. And this is not what Jefferson says in in his own words in this address. And he starts off by saying, I cannot omit recommending a revisal of the laws on the subject of naturalization. He says, considering the ordinary chances of human life, a denial of citizenship under a residence of 14 years is a denial to a great proportion of those who ask it. And he goes on to say, well, look, this is depriving these people of an opportunity because 14 years they can be old enough, they come over here and die. But it's also denying our states the opportunity of the contributions that these people could bring forward. So we need to be we need to be clear that this is something that we need to develop. And he says um, there needs to be a place where the oppressed humanity can find asylum, where fugitives from distress of their own government can come and find asylum. But there has to be limitations, he says. And the reason that we had a 14-year residency requirement before citizenship was so that we could determine the motivations for becoming a citizen. And Jefferson uh, talks about this. He says, but might not the general character and capabilities of a citizen be safely communicated to everyone manifesting, and listen, a bona fide purpose of embarking his life and fortunes permanently with us in less than 14 years? He says, we need restrictions to guard against fraudulent usurpations, of our flag, an abuse which brings so much embarrassment and loss to genuine citizens and so much danger to the nation of being involved in war that no endeavor should be spared to detect and suppress it. You see, we have to determine why these people want to be citizens and they ought not be voting. They ought not be uh, engaging in uh, the receipt of our benefits. They ought not look like citizens of the United States until we've determined their motivation. Are they here to start war? 
Are they here to overturn our way of life? Or are they here to become an American through our way of life? A fraudulent usurpation. Now, Alexander Hamilton is engaging in this conversation as well in the same lines as Jefferson in his The Examination Number 8, written in 1802. And Madison says this. He says, but there's a wide difference between closing the door altogether and throwing it entirely open. He says... Uh, he's going to recommend five years. He said some reasonable term ought to be allowed to enable aliens to get rid of foreign and acquire American attachments to learn the principles and imbibe in the spirit of our government and to admit at least the a probability of their feelings of a real interest in our affairs. He says to admit foreigners indiscriminately to the rights of citizens the moment they put our foot in our country, as recommended in, in the message, would be nothing less than to admit the Grecian horse into the citadel of our liberty and sovereignty. So this is not about letting, uh, it's not about shutting down and becoming xenophobic. Naturalization is about determining the motivations of these people. And if you're coming to our country carrying your own flag and throwing rocks at our officers, then you are proving in both Jefferson and Hamilton's terms that you are not fit to be a citizen. You are not coming here for a bona fide purpose. You are not coming here to shake off the foreign and bring on the American. That is the purpose of determining the natural, the the uniform rule of naturalization. Are you going to be an American? Are you going to live by our laws? Are you going to respect our ways? Or are you coming here to be a Trojan horse? We have to be discerning. We can have compassion, but we have to be concerning. It is a matter of self-preservation. God bless you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Let me know.